Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night, and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud. The new web hosting plan from Bluehost, with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Okay, I'm going to try to put into words the experience I had tonight in seeing Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Stephen Adley Gurgis's play, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven, that's currently at the Atlantic Theatre Company and uh, a co-production between the Labyrinth Theatre Company and Atlantic, two of New York's most extraordinary theatre companies. Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven is a play that centers on a woman's halfway house in New York City. Characters inhabit this play that feel like people you know, people you see on the streets every day in New York. The way these stories uh, are interwoven with such beauty and pain, suffering and redemption, it really is um, one of those plays that 
I know I will be thinking of, not just for days to come, but for years to come. He is one of these writers that is able to move you, make you laugh, and you're gutted all at the same time. So it is a commitment seeing this play. It's, um, it demands a lot of you, but it gives you so much in return. So go see Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven at the Atlantic Theater. So go to atlantictheater.org for more information about the play and for tickets. And then I hope you'll email me at littleknownfactspodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the play. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. known fact about my guest today. She managed to take her love of writing and her love of Broadway and turn it into an extraordinary career. Welcome Playbill's Ruthie Fearberg to the podcast. My guest today is Ruthie Fearberg. Ruthie is a journalist who has written for publications like Playbill, Good Housekeeping, Parents, American Baby, Parents Latina, and Backstage Magazines. She is currently the senior features editor of Playbill, creating innovative and engaging content through in-depth written pieces, multimedia, and video. You can find her beautiful face on every Broadway opening night red carpet and interviewing attendees at the Tony Awards. Uh, She basically has become a fixture of the Broadway community with her passion, curiosity, and intellect about all things theater. I am so thrilled to have Ruthie on this podcast today. I'm like going to cry. Well, that's what we're here for. (laughs) In fact, if you cry now, we can shut the whole thing down. That's it. We did it in the first 30 seconds. Yes, it's my Barbara Walters moment with you. Well, I'm just so thrilled to be here, really. Just truly honored to have been asked. Well, if theater is your religion, Playbill is your Bible. That sounds right to me. So it has been like... Uh, are you okay? We have water, whatever you need. She got choked up again, just (laughs) the idea of Playbill being a Bible. Um, You know, people all over the globe collect them, whether or not they can even attend a Broadway show. They buy them, they trade them. Absolutely. I was one of those people. I am one of those people. I still don't throw out a single one, even though I go to the theater like four nights a week. Because you're one of the the rare breed of people who have managed to make a career for themselves in the thing that they are also a fan of. Yeah. So lots of people go to the theater as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Lots of people talk about it, tweet about it, email with friends about it because they just love it. But they can't find a way to actually make a living appreciating this thing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't intentional, to be honest. Um, this was not, you know, I get emails all the time from, from, um, (laughs) (laughs) yes, but not with the same content as the emails (laughs) I'm talking about, but I do love my emails from Alana. Um, I get emails all the time from young journalist, uh, students in college or high schoolers who are like, my dream is to work for Playbill. And I, 
kind of marvel at that every time because I had no idea, even as a fan of Playbill for so long, it, it didn't occur to me that people worked there. Right. I don't know why. I mean, I read, you know, Andrew Gans's name on Playbill.com every darn day. Right. Um, but maybe it's because, you know, I read like Seth Radetzky's name in the actual Playbill and yeah. and I thought you had to be someone in theater to work for Playbill. Right. So it wasn't uh, on my radar as a potential career choice. I also, I mean, I didn't even intend to be a writer when I was younger. Um, all of these things you look back and I'm like, oh, I was, first of all, I was totally destined to be a writer. And sure. second of all, I mean, it was quite literally written on the wall that I worked for Playbill because that was my bat mitzvah theme. Not just Broadway. Like, it was specifically every table was a Playbill. My cake was the Fosse Playbill, but instead of Fosse, it said Ruthie. You know, like with the sexy dancer. Yes. Um, And in neon, you know, my name instead of Bob Fosse's because that's an appropriate (laughs) correlation to make. That is uh, an appropriation (laughs) that we can talk about the political or, or political incorrectness about taking it over. Um, So at some point, because I read a list of other publications that you wrote for before you managed to land... I'm going to call it your dream job. Who knows? I mean, everything looks. Yeah, I always say like, yeah, the day to day is hard. It's the dream I didn't know to have, though. You know, and um, and I do think that I'm going to quote my my dear friend Alan Menken right now with Tangled, and like once you get your dream, you know, you have to have your new dream, right? Um, so I do. I think. I look at my life and it kind of astounds me where I've landed. The fact that you called me a fixture in the Broadway community is wild to me. Um, But yeah, I just want to keep climbing and keep using my voice to shine light on good people's art. I guess I want to talk about, um, A, how did you get this job as editor in in I'm senior features senior editor. Senior features editor for Playbill.com. For well, now officially all yes. of Playbill. I did start out as the features editor at Playbill.com, and then features have grown over the almost four years that I've been there to be included um, to in include the, yeah the Playbill print magazine and, itself. Mm-hmm. So, what is the relationship between the Bible, as we described it mm-hmm. earlier, the program that becomes our beloved memento? It's free. It's a way to take a free piece of Broadway I know, home with you. It's the best. It's the only thing free right now when you walk into that theater. Yeah, it's the Playbill. Definitely true. Um, and now I see people like taking many more playbills than one. Like everyone is like, this oh. is free. I'm going to take 20 of these when the usher isn't looking. It's interesting. Interesting. I've seen a little of that. Huh. I've never seen that. No. I just know that for said bat mitzvah, we were <laughs> hoarding playbills from all of our friends because we needed all different shows. Uh-huh. So I wonder like for your I wonder if people are like pieces. scrapbooking or like have you seen their like the prom dresses made out of playbills and like people make things out of playbills. So I wonder if that's what they're doing when they ask for multiples. Extra yeah. For Ruthie's bat mitzvah. <laughs> That's what they're really doing it for. They're not selling them on eBay. They're only using them for bar mitzvahs. Exactly. So what what is the relationship between the online component and the actual handheld magazine? I mean, I'd say that the handheld magazine is a fraction of what Playbill does 
particularly editorially, because it's also important to know that that Playbill is so much more than just the content that we're creating about Broadway. You know, we have the Playbill store, we have Playbill travel, we have... um, Gosh, I'm like, now I'm blanking. Yeah, but but cruises, there are, yeah, right? the Playbill cruises are under Playbill travel, but also that includes like trips to New York. And for people who have gone on Playbill cruises, then they can book other travel through that. So there's a whole travel division. There's um, Playbill Classic Arts, which is also a print publication, but different than the one you get at a Broadway house. It's, you know, what you get at the Met or sometimes mm-hmm. at City Center. So there are all these different things editorially that happen, but the the print playbill that you receive, I always like to tell people, first of all, that's a monthly magazine. Most people don't realize that because they're not going to the theater right. every single month. That's right. They go for a birthday or an anniversary. Well, it's and an annual thing for Right. And, and so they're not seeing that the articles in there change, but they are. Or unless you get, you can get a subscription to Playbill magazine and get you know, I feel it's sent to your house. This episode, <laughs> <laughs> call call them up. Call them up. Talk to because that's what's happening right now. Yeah, but yeah. it is. It's it's. I started to notice it because I went to my undergrad here in New York, and I would go to the theater all the time. And it took a little while for me to realize, like, oh, this is changing. Monthly, So it is. The first week of every month, we literally have a truck driver who goes from our plant in Queens and, like, drops off the playbills, like, old school newspaper style, like, plop outside. I know, right? Like, do they have the little cap? It's Jeremy Jordan. It's Jeremy. I knew it. And, um... Little known fact. Yeah. And Corey. He and, and Corey, and they Keenan team up. Yes, and all of them. Keenan Bolger is everywhere. I would believe, out of the goodness of his That's heart, true. he'd be like, I'll throw some yeah. bills at the theater door. Why not? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's a monthly magazine, but that being said, and also Off-Broadway is different than a Broadway playbill, but let's say there are, I don't know, five or six articles in there in a monthly magazine. Um I publish one feature at minimum a day, sometimes three. And that has nothing to do with the news that we're publishing because playbill.com is the hub for, I would say Broadway news is like the bread and butter we publish. And we are a small, but mighty team. People think that there's like a horde of writers. Like they imagine us in like this big writer's bullpen. There are six of us. I have Um, the pleasure of having finally witnessed. Yes. You came to the office. I did a live. I did a, a playbill live on Fridays with Felicia and Mark. And it, it was really, it's like, it felt for me like a behind the scenes of Disney. Yeah. Sort of like seeing. It definitely feels it cool, but, um, but we are small and we write something like upwards of 200 articles a week. So do you not sleep? Um, I don't sleep very much, to be honest. I'm not going to lie on yeah. here. Like sleep is a hard earned commodity right. and there are definitely, I'd say maybe like a real, like a good night is seven hours. That's a good night. Right. But it's usually probably closer to six. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I crash really, really hard on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. I try and sleep as late as possible on Saturdays. try to make up. Yeah. That's not. (laughs) Storing up, I always wonder. Does it work work in the short term? Yes. Right. Like you can get up Saturday. Yeah. I can actually. Yeah. I like 
I fuel my tank for the week and then I end up just as completely exhausted the next weekend. It's, I don't recommend this. This is not a sustainable model. I am doing some personal work to fix this right now. So like, do not follow suit listeners at home. That is not the path to success. That is the path to a nervous breakdown. They say that most presidents, and we're not going to talk about politics right now, but in general, because some presidents feel more presidential Mm -hmm. than others, Mm -hmm. but they say say that most presidents operate on very little sleep. People who get to that kind of position in life. So I'm just saying, in your future, there may be a presidency. presidency? It may be of the American theater (laughs) It may be of the United States. We don't know. But being able to function on very little sleep. Hey, I'm here. I'm here for the journey. I'm here for the journey. We'll see. We'll check back in in a decade and see where I've gotten. 100%. So (laughs) talk to me a little bit about um, what the day looks like, is there like, um, because I did get to see sort of what the layout Mm -hmm. of your offices are and and sort of how the writers are together in one area and then certain kind of different positions have offices around the periphery of Mm -hmm. of the, the room. So do you guys like every Monday have a meeting where everyone is attendance, attending and going, okay, let's go through the week. Like how does it work? We do. Um, I mean, the thing with, The thing with news anywhere is that it is constantly happening and we get press releases at seven o'clock on a Friday and um, weekends and and publicists, if you're out there. We appreciate embargoes. Don't do that anymore. Embargoes mean like they send something that say on a Friday at noon, but say you can't release it until Friday at seven. That's always really helpful for us because we get to write it while we're in the office and then just schedule it. Um, It's less stressful. As opposed to? As opposed to like getting an email on your phone when you've left the office at seven and being like, I got to find a computer. Okay. So, so. Having more time before what you're saying is. I'm like, publicist, PSA. Um, But yeah, the the day. um, But how does a publicist get your attention? Like, there's so much. So there's so. So I get hundreds of emails a day. So as the senior features editor, luckily, that is not my job. My job is not to decide what we cover and what we don't. We have a senior news or a managing news editor is his title, Ryan McPhee. And he. You know, yes, that's the best name ever. (laughs) He's great. And um, he's the person who decides, along with Mark Pikert, our editor in chief, about, you know, what what goes and he determines what's breaking and what can wait and um, all of those things. And we each have um, news beats. So, like, we divide all of the Broadway shows and the off-Broadway shows and then um, certain, like, areas of coverage. Like, I am the television, or I have been lately. I've been given a slight break, but for the majority of my past four years, I have been the TV appearances person. So the first thing, if you look at my YouTube Subscriptions. Yeah. It is all of the late night shows. It is, you know, Kelly and Ryan and Ellen and you, all of those okay, and CBS so, Sunday morning. So I the first thing I do when I come in in the morning yeah. is I would look at all of my YouTube subscriptions and be like, was there a Broadway person on television last night? Um, and if there is, then I write up that video. I write up engagements and birth and announcements. Those Yes. So if then Platt is yeah. on you know, the view. James Corden or The View or whatever, there's a clip on YouTube because mm-hmm. The View posts it or James Corden posts right. it. Right. And then you take that clip. 
and I digest it into, you know, a shorter article that if you want to watch the whole interview, you can. But if you want to know the highlights of what he said, I watch the full 11 minutes and I pull out what I think are the most important so things he said and type it up. Like that is copyrighted. Like the video itself, do you just... Co- well, because we're sourcing it. So I'm saying like right. he appeared on... Um, Little known facts. Yeah. So he appeared on The View. And let it be known that The View wants that to happen. That's why everyone's putting it on YouTube. We get emails from people that's like, here are the five videos of the five people who were on Fallon last night, you know? So the point is there are all these different people making decisions about what to share. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think everyone in your office, do you have to love theater to do the job or not necessarily? Listen, I think that any any job you are passionate about, you do better. Right. Do I think that you would fail at the job without that passion? No. I think that someone who has the skills and is versed in news and is a good writer can absolutely do this job. Curate but I think it is well actually to, to like yeah. to bring it back to what you were saying about the way I interview on opening nights and things, I think that I ask the questions that I do and the way that I do because I am so fueled by an absolute mad infatuation with this art and with the people who make it. Mm -hmm. And I consider it the supreme privilege of privileges that I get to be the person to hold that microphone and I will not squander that opportunity. So I like I get to be the curious person in the room. And so I'm going to ask as detailed a question as I want because I don't know when I'm going to get to talk to you again. Like to me, that's the whole thing. Like, let's not waste time on basics or with Hugh Jackman or whoever it is. Yeah. Then like, let's get real. Yeah. You know, I, I know how to make the most of one of the best interviews I ever had was actually with Hugh Jackman. I had four minutes with him, got two videos out of that. And it's still one of the best interviews ever because I just like cut to it and he was game for it, which is always helpful. Um, How did you become, so it's no secret to Ruthie uh, and Felicia that one of my favorite things to do is not only really, maybe even more than the interview itself is to watch the tests (laughs) that happens. I mean, you must find it fascinating how many people watch the test at this point. I know I'm not alone. No, you're not alone. And we do like now we know we... It's not that we're putting on a little show, but we are definitely careful about like, oh, we can't say some of the things that you you might have said before you realized you had a fan base. Exactly. And like, oh, I used to put my lipstick on in the test. And now it's like people will be like staring down my uvula. We really like it. We, But that's the culture we're living in right now. I just find this unbelievable. Not only are we interested in the talent that is going to be walking the red carpet Mm -hmm. and talking about making things like... To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah, right? Like, unbelievable works of art, Hadestown, whatever red carpet you're on, sleeping, mm-hmm. like all these amazing things, right? We are now, it's so Truman Show in a way. Like it now, is. Not only are we invested in hearing what the stars have to say, or the creators, I love to think of it more as artists, um, making content that's life-changing for some of us. Mm-hmm. Now, we want to see the person who's going to interview said person put their lipstick on. Right. Like it's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Like well, we I think that everyone is just trying to get as close to the actual thing as possible. Like that's what it seems to be to me. You know, anytime 
I write a story about behind the scenes, backstage, things in the wings, like people just want to know that because mm-hmm. they want to like they want to crawl inside it right. is basically what's happening. And as far as like people watching me in particular, like put on lipstick or live my life or whatever it is, or hear what I have to say in addition, because I'm doing a lot of vamping on right. the, once we go live, we do not right. You're cut on. out. That's yeah. it. And it's only recently in the past year that like, we now have the technological capability to load production photos or B-roll video of the show that's opening so to, to give me a, on right. To have right. like, give me a minute sometimes if I need it, but I'm so used to vamping for you know I did an hour and 45 minutes one time with like three people at 1984 like waiting for Olivia Wilde and Tom Sturridge to come for I think I spoke like 40 minutes nonstop, and so I'm used to it and I fill my head with things so that I'm able to do it but I think I think the reason people um like to hear what I have to say or I hope they do is just because I see so much. So my, I I see quite literally everything on Broadway, but that I have a frame of reference and a context that not everybody has. So if I'm seeing, it's just math really, that if I'm seeing 35 shows and I'm telling you that these are the top three, that to me, that means more than if I saw four shows and these are the top three, you know? So, so you I think that's why it matters. Reviewers. You're not critics. No. Um, but you are tastemakers. Yeah, I think that's a good word for it. Do you feel like people come at you to try to be the thing that you talk about? I, I guess a little bit. I think, um, I think people do want my opinion and sometimes I'm willing to give it and sometimes I'm not because because the fact is we're not critics. I am not a reviewer, at least at not this stage in my life. Yeah. I am I am a features writer. Could you imagine people have asked me like actors and and uh, creatives have said to me like, oh, we just need you to be a critic. And I'm like, that's really not the job I'm after. I really love telling other people's stories and I really love supporting and um and I do think that there and this is another conversation entirely but I do think that there's a way to do criticism in a completely supportive way not just like half supportive or not supportive at all like I think you can write criticism you know it's the thing we learned in high school constructive criticism um and I think that there is a place for that but um, I'm not a reviewer and I'm not a critic right. and I am a features writer and part of that depends on my ability to form a rapport with people. And if I'm sitting in one corner saying one thing and then trying to come in and, you know, like be real with you like that, I don't know that that will work. So right. I just want to relate to people as people and when I'm right, You're authentic, right. Self. And, and be able to interview them and ask them whatever I want without them wondering if what I said in a review is coloring my questions or, or what have you. Can so, we go back to young Ruthie first? Younger. Sure. You're quite young. <laughs> younger Ruthie, when you talk about your bat mitzvah theme, which sure. I just can't wait for you to send pictures because they will accompany this broadcast when it goes out in the world because it must. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut. So you had the gift of proximity. Yeah, a bit. I mean, it's definitively like 
a two and a half hour drive, but it was not a plane ride. Right. And things came through Hartford too, like great shows. Yes. Yes. We definitely went to the Bushnell Center for the Performing Arts in Hartford was our national touring house. Mm -hmm. I became a junior volunteer there when I was like 16, I think, and started ushering too, so that I could see extra things that I wasn't necessarily like, you know, couldn't pay for. what made you like Gaga for Broadway? Like what was the thing that started it all? I mean, there's a video of me when I'm two years old, like singing, belting on the top of my lungs. God, I hope I get it. My, I mean, sincerely in a diaper. Um, Were your parents into it? My parents are into it. My mother is a singer. Mm -hmm. Um, She sang semi-professional Professionally, when I was growing up, um, and with a band, with or? a with a cabaret act. Remember yeah. when those were a thing? Like yeah. you know, what, well, like Louis corporate is bringing it back. I was back. gonna say, like <laughs> corporate luncheons used to hire entertainment, or like I remember they performed at um, the Special Olympics in Connecticut for state the statewide Special Olympics and first night in Hartford, which was New Year's Eve, and um, she individually sang the national anthem at certain sporting events and things like that. So, and she sang some weddings sometimes. So, so my mom is a performer and, but she was not raised that way. So she did not grow up with it. I don't really know how it, like how she found it, I think in college. And so she found it and after college did, you know, community theater and cabarets. And so she raised us on cast albums. My dad is not a performer in any way, Uh but loves it. Fans of the Opera, his favorite show of all time, music of the night. He could listen to it on repeat until he goes to his grave. Amazing. So I grew up definitely with those 80s musicals and, you know, Barbara (laughs) playing in the background like any good Jewish mother. And um, she is all of our Jewish mothers. Yeah, exactly. And I also like she, you know, my mom was mostly a stay at home mom until I was about 12. And when she would go to cabaret rehearsal, she would take us because my dad would be coming home from work or wherever he was, or I just wanted to go. And so I knew a lot of random shows too. Like I knew City of Angels. I knew Mac and Mabel growing up. And I knew all the lyrics to the Les Mis medley. So I didn't know like every song, but I could sing that cut of it, you know? So all those types of things. That's how I grew up. And I grew up doing it. My town, um, West Hartford had the West Hartford Summer Arts Festival that was a musical. Back in the day, it was a festival of musicals, but by the time I got there, they did one musical. We had four weeks of rehearsal every single night for four hours, and it was the entire state of Connecticut was eligible, anyone who was in high school or college. So I had friends from, those of you from Connecticut, like Canton and Wallingford and Stamford and like all over the freaking state to that like this was the thing we did every single night from six to ten and our shows were may I say incredible and I was a featured dancer the whole time because I just wanted to be a part of it and I wanted to be on stage as much as possible and my last year I was Peggy Sawyer in 42nd Street and then that you know that was the end of my my time performing on stage, really. Um, I did a little more in college. I choreographed my own show senior year because I was like, last hurrah. Yeah. But did you make a decision when you were going on to school that this was something that you will always love, but not something you were going to perform professionally? Yes. I never had professional aspirations. I leave that to my brother. Um, But I, yes, part of the reason I chose to go to, I went to Barnard College of Columbia University up on... 116th Street. And 
I was deciding between there and Brandeis at the time. And I chose New York more than I chose Barnard, to be honest, because I wanted to be able to go to Broadway all the time. So how did you afford it? Because my niece recently graduated from Barnard. Mm -hmm. Um, I would take her to see, you know, my job allows me to go see a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, And she would be my date when possible. But I don't know a lot of college students did they already have Rush and unlocking yes. Rush tickets when you so were there? So they had Student Rush and General Rush, and they had um, Lottery because Rent in 96 was the first show to ever do Lottery. Um, at least I think they started out as a Rush, Definitely. and then they turned Definitely. to Lottery. So, were so you they were seeing... the ones who innovated that. But So I, I did a combination of things. Um, I had all my memberships of, like, you know, Link Ticks and Hip Ticks and um, MTCs at that time, 30 under 30. Now it's 30 under 35. Woo. Um, Barnard had student tickets that you could like, you know, pay in advance. That was like the appeal of it was like you could plan ahead for Saturday, whereas Rush, you know, you're going that that day. But they were a little bit more expensive, like they were 40 or 45 dollars instead of like at the time Rush tickets were like 25 dollars. So really, I did lottery and at again, at that time, lotteries were in person, not digital. So your chances were Definitely better well, and easier. Were you seeing shows from the mezzanine? Oh, yeah. And high up? Yeah, mezzanine and high up, and then also the front row, right? Like, never the greatest yeah. seat in the house, so which now, now I'm spoiled rotten. Right, but that must mean something to you. Oh, when, yeah. When you start out having that perk of seeing something from the perfect row, the perfect seat that the producers want you to sit in so you appreciate their show the most, that must be something that doesn't get past you without a great appreciation. There is not a single time that I walk into the theater and don't think like, wow, these are amazing seats. Yeah. Like someone, someone must love me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I will say that like the beautiful thing about theater is that it is built for every seat in the house. Like it's not a movie or like, I think they aim, I think when theater is done at its best, that's right. It is built for every seat in the house. And like, I remember seeing, um, the 2009 West Side Story revival. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it in the moon of the palace theater uh-huh. and was like, I am so far away. And I loved it because right. you can see all of Jerome Robbins, like gorgeous formations, not just the dance steps itself. Think- and then I saw the show again in the orchestra and I was like, this is bogus. I want to see it upstairs again. I think musicals. I think so. I was going to say it's definitely different plays. Yeah. I am picky about. Like it's wanting really to sit nice closer to, to see yes. the the you know Annette Benning's face close up or whoever you want to see their eyes in a play. It's yeah. true, but I don't think that means you can't get something from it and appreciate it and probably appreciate something different well, from a seat that's farther away. I mean, yeah, I, the writing. Which and I pay attention to design like crazy now. Yeah. Like I'm a design freak. Let it be known. Oh, hashtag design freak. Hashtag design freak. <laughs> going to be it? But it's like specifically theater design. Like love yeah. some HGTV, but no, I like theater design. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you sort of um, see th- there's so much content out there. Yes. There are many different outlets, Broadway World and Playbill and, 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 um, Theater Mania. Theater Mania, and on and on and on, uh, putting out tremendous amounts of content yes. every day. Yes. Um, if you want to see like what it's like to be with Leslie Margarita backstage, 
actors all have these vlogs where they take you through their day. Like yep. everyone is doing this stuff. Everyone yeah. has, you know, interview shows. Everyone's mm-hmm. having the covering the writ. Like there's so much content. Yes. So why do you, <laughs> are you aware of this? Am I shocking it, you? No, it dizzies me. <laughs> no, it dizzies me. Yeah. I don't know how anyone consumes all of this. Well, or not all. I don't know how anyone consumes ten percent of it. I really yeah. don't. But obviously they are. Because Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's a lot of versions of Broadway cruises. I mean, there are so many different Mm -hmm. things where, so A, we see like the love of theater is so widespread and so global and everyone has their gateway into it. Right. For many people, it's you kind of now being like the... The way in, right, to experience the thing that they love. Um, not everyone has, you know, Matt Roden, like he does these hilarious yeah. red carpet challenges who I see you standing next to often on yes, the Yes, I love him. Well, he started the red carpet challenge with us at Playbill and yes. then moved. Yes. Little but, known fact. But his heart, <laughs> we can't say where his heart lies. I mean, his heart, listen, if you are lucky enough to get close to Matt Roden, that man's heart just emanates. Matt, I love Matt being will be in, listening to this. I love being in that. his presence. Yes, he's, he's But I think really that's why, person. I mean, that speaks to an example of like why I love being in the theater space because I and think it's, yeah, I think it's full of people who lead with their heart. So how do you, like, so I guess my question is when I, I can only use my own experience, like I'm an actor. I was given an opportunity to do a podcast. That seemed really interesting Mm -hmm. to me. I thought, well, if I did a podcast, what do I have in my life that might be interesting to anybody else to listen to? And I thought, wow, I've collected the most extraordinary artists. Mm -hmm. Like As I've gotten older, the one amazing thing, there's so many things I don't like about it, but the collection of beautiful humans that I've been in dressing room after dressing room Absolutely. after dressing room with, oh, I'm going to share them. That's what I'm going to do. Mm. Um, and even since I started, and really not as a career choice, but as like, I want to share this because I live for community. How can I share my community right. with people who don't get to be here? Because yeah. we can't live in New York. No, that's so exactly it. That is what it was. But even since I started three years ago, which is a long time in podcast land, there are now like a good, I mean, I'm going to use my real math, a gazillion. <laughs> like there's so many podcasts. Yeah. And so obviously when you do something because you love it, you're doing it because you love it and you stick with it and your your people come along with you. But how do you in a landscape that is getting fuller and fuller and fuller? Like while we just sat here, 20 more people are like creating Broadway content. Oh, for sure. What's your feeling about this kind of very saturated market? Oh, gosh. Well, I I have I have mixed feelings because I think... I am beyond thrilled that there is so much enthusiasm around theater and that it's not becoming, I think like we're about to see our own worlds turn on its head because it's not going to be the nerdy thing much longer, you know? It's no longer we who don't feel comfortable in right. the real world like, come to this clubhouse. Where yeah. We're all like, oh, we're And I think that's welcome. great. I think yeah. so long as we stay, so long as we stay to our core of like well, openness and acceptance. What do you mean by that when you say, well, uh, could you talk a little bit more about what you mean? Because we do often, 
so many Tony speeches, so many people who make it in this field Mm -hmm. talk about, for all sorts of reasons, growing up, feeling like outsiders, and then they walked into the theater in their middle school or high school, and they were like, oh, there is a place where people like me. Yeah, and I love those stories. That was not my experience. I, I grew up in this very rare culture where, like, the the band kids were as popular right. as the track kids. Right. So marching and that band was not uncool. No. Yeah. Like, if you were in the jazz band, you were freaking royalty. And, like, well, what and that the didn't— the marching band? And the marching band, like, they were mostly the same kids. You had to yeah. take both. Okay. But it wasn't, like— it wasn't a reverse world where like the football players weren't cool. We're it's just that there up. was a large, right. There was just like a larger swath of people yeah. who could be appreciated for their talent. I think it could also have to do with the fact that I went to a very big high school, mm-hmm. you know? So there, so was, there was like, everybody. yeah, there was like, you could find your, you could find your place and it would still be pretty big because you were in a class. My graduating class was 435 yeah, yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, but needless to definitely say, like in terms of, vibes. in terms of like the culture changing and what it means that we have so much content, I think the, in- I, I had us in my first year at Playbill, um, I commissioned when I used to have freelance writers, yeah. I commissioned one Jennifer Ashley Tepper to write an article that I titled the platinum age of musical theater because I felt like we were in this new cultural zenith of theater what just perme- permeating the zeitgeist. Well, because I was thinking like, you know, There's we talk golden age. right. We talk all the time about the golden age. And I was like, well, but this feels new. And this feels like it's like crackling and pulsing with a new yeah. excitement and there's so much happening and across mediums what is higher than gold platinum so I called it the platinum age but it had to do with the fact that like I think the live television musical event has changed things entirely the fact that we know we're getting at least one of those a year and there are all these kids at home like regardless of what you think about whether it's real theater because it's on TV or no matter what your um assessment of the quality is or whether, you know, any judgments. The point is that there are little kids out there seeing this and being like, oh, people sing and dance without having to like, thank God, I hope people again, invest in, in music and arts education. But like, if their school doesn't have it, they can turn on the TV and see that it's still an option. You know, I am thrilled for all of this new enthusiasm around theater I do worry and this is across theater and all other types of journalism that like quote everyone's a journalist right that just because you have a pen or a computer like yes just because you have a computer doesn't make you a writer just because you have a microphone doesn't make you an interviewer you can but those are like very honed skills skills like they have to be practiced they have to be taught I am still learning you know mm-hmm. I have an editor I have a producer mm-hmm. I have to learn and, and I watch back my live streams and I read back old pieces to see you know How where you I came growing. from right. yeah so it's it well, that's the thing about the saturation right. of content that worries me is that I don't want us as consumers to compromise what we're expecting from 
our content creators. I really want to be challenged. So it's like, is this person telling me something I don't know? Or did I read this five other places? Which is why in my interviews, I read every other interview that a person has like basically ever done. So you don't repeat yourself. So I don't, I I can be like asked and answered, right? Like we, I know this because you said it here and I can use that as a building block for my second question Mm -hmm. instead of having to, you know, reinvent the wheel every time. Right. And, and that's why I hope that when you read something by me, um, which you're getting something, you're getting something new. Yeah. I love your deep diving into designers. I love your deep diving into women who are making an impact, Mm. uh, in the theater right now. It's been really, um, exciting to me to see a how many women are working behind the scenes yes. in, in the, in, at your publication mm-hmm. and at your online and uh, in the magazine, and really just focusing on the female voices that are making such an impact in the yeah. theater. Yeah, right well, I now. think that's the other All responsibility voices, we also. right. We have a responsibility, you know. I believe that what I do creates change or has the potential to, Mm -hmm. and it is always my goal to fulfill that potential. I think just like you were saying in terms of the dressing room conversations that you just wanted to share it with people, that is all I want to do. I want Mm -hmm. everyone in the world to be as excited about the thing that I'm excited about. That's really where this comes from. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, people say to me, what are you looking for when you see a show? And how do you know what to write a feature about? And it's like as simple and as complicated as the thing that excites me. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, as I gain more knowledge, different things excite me. I think when I first started out, I was seeing costume design because costumes are a thing that happened, but it was only through speaking to costume designers and learning the type of storytelling that they're doing, the type of work that goes into it, that now I get very excited when I see what I know in my bones to be excellent costume design. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I know that that's what I want to feature. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, a- a- and in terms of showcasing designers or lesser known creatives, be them male or female, it, I also have a drive to sing the song of the unsung hero Mm -hmm. because I like I was saying at the very beginning that I didn't know you could work at Playbill I didn't I don't think so many people know about all of the ways you can be involved in theater and you can touch theater I think we have this framework of if you do theater when you're younger you know of the people in the rehearsal room. So you know your castmates, you know that there's a director and a choreographer, and you know that there are people in the wings, you know, p- pulling the fly mm-hmm. systems and like running Making the spot. Sure your prop is right. There. So I knew that it was an option to be on stage or literally backstage, but I did not know until my junior year of college what a producer did. I did not know what company managers or general managers were. I just learned the huge, amazing job description of a music director because I, you know, growing up, your music director teaches you music that's already on a page and like teaches you harmonies and a Broadway music director, they do that, but they're also, um, so my friend, Andrea Grody, who is the music director on Tootsie, we did a, I do this thing called theater jobs to try and illuminate this for people through my playbill coverage. And she taught me that, like a, a music director is to a composer lyricist what a director is to a playwright. Like you are the translator. You are adding all of the colors. Like it can't just 
be performed by actors. So what is the difference between a music director and an orchestrator? So an orchestrator is writing the music lines for every instrumentation. Right. A music director is, can like, she starts with transcribing off of, in Tootsie's case, David Yazbek's recording that he did with, like, just a melody and a piano and, like, a rhythm section, maybe. Like, maybe it's the piano, a bass, and drums. Right. So she'll start by transcribing that, and then, as the vocal arranger, it's her job to make the harmonies for voices. It's her job in the rehearsal room to be like, is this in the right key or do we need to change this? It's her job in the room to be like, that lyric's not working. David, what should we do? Mm -hmm. Because the music and the lyrics aren't telling the story anymore. She is fully shaping performance. She found, you know, the Dorothy Michaels voice with Santino in a rehearsal room. And that's not to say that David Yazbek isn't writing the music or isn't involved. It's just the same way that... It's about Tony Kushner wrote Angels in America and then George C. Wolfe put it up on stage and helped interpret that. Mm -hmm. And Tony was in the room. It's the same thing that David is writing this and he's in the room and Andrea's job is to help interpret it in the truest way possible via music. So like these are the things that I learn and my mission statement in life is to engage and educate. And that's why I write about these designers because it's like, you who, like you, you think your only chance to be in a show is to be like man number 12. Well, guess what? If you really like putting on all your castmates makeup beforehand, maybe you're supposed to be a makeup designer. You know, maybe like that's a thing too. It's not just for cats. Every show has a makeup designer because that plays off of the costumes and the colors and the lighting and the story that you're telling. The story is told through so many different ways. And, you know, it's funny though, isn't it? That in most Broadway shows, unless there is, well, even in Lion King, actors are doing, it is the only kind of performance left where actors are doing their own makeup in there. Can you imagine like going to the (laughs) Well, they put, but they put on, they apply their own makeup, but they're not not designing their own makeup. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Yes, it's wild. It's like going to the Sephora counter. Yes. They do it for you once. They give you a picture of your face. Yes. It's like, so I was just thinking like, we're such, um, as kind of high tech as everything around us is getting. And I just went to, were you at, were you at TEDx Broadway? TEDx, I was. Right? Like this idea of, there was one guy talking about wanting virtual reality to be more yes. part of Broadway. Like all these amazing things. I thought it was really interesting being at TEDx Broadway this year because there are so many speakers that are deeply fully planted in the world of Broadway. Mm -hmm. And then there are all these other conversations that you have a really hard time tracking, okay, so how is this connected to Broadway? And I'll give you an example. There was a guy, he is the head, he is the head chef for Madison Park. This yes, extraordinary 11 Madison Park. Yes. Right? 11 Madison Park. And he was talking all about, um, I'm going to post, unless you can remember the name of his organization that he talked about, which is really, how do you repurpose food yes. from restaurants that doesn't get, don't get, you know, Play, food that doesn't get food waste, yeah, and food waste, right? And I was sitting there thinking, like, wow, this is a restaurant. There's nothing about what he does that's directly connected to Broadway hmm. in any sense of the word. He's not in a Broadway show. He hasn't written a Broadway show. Maybe he's gone to see a Broadway show. And then I thought, 
as he talked about the most beautiful program that he has implemented to make sure that food is not wasted and gets to the homeless and all these myths about why we can't do that dispelled, I thought because at the heart of Broadway, it's about taking care of each other Mm. and serving those in need in all sorts of ways because at its heart, it's not just about making art. It's about caring about each other. Sure. So it was really interesting to me. He's not a Broadway person. No, but it's interesting. I Those are actually the conversations that I sometimes value the most at TEDx Broadway. Right, but don't you wonder why they're at TEDx Broadway? I think they're there for the very fact that you wonder it because I think – when it comes down to it, theater's job is to reflect the world. And if you're not absorbing the world, what are you reflecting? Right. I think actually, you know, we in specifically theater media, because this is the air we breathe on the daily basis. Right. Like I have no concept of what other people outside of the theater space are really hearing about and are really curious about mm-hmm. sometimes because I'm, you know, like I can't see past the end of my own nose. Right. And that's when I have to take a step back and like talk to my friends who peripherally like theater, who don't like theater. But who have you heard of? World. What do you, right. right. Like what do you, what's exciting to you? And I think that it's, crucial that we are fed by other schools of thought, other industries, you know, I mean, like for a direct connection to that example, like Seared is coming to MCC and that's Teresa Rebeck's new play about a restaurant tour. So like, I know, there, I thought, no, so yeah. I'm not really saying that like, that's why no, he was but, there. But I loved that it was feeding us ways in which we can be engaged in our community. Yes. And I and think it was feeding us ways sensitive people. Yeah. And I think it was feeding us ways to think about waste, Absolutely. about theater waste, whether you're like, you know, scenery bags, which is like doing amazing yeah. things with repurposing materials and making accessories out, out of them. Or like the situation project, where you're taking wasted seats and giving them to the community. I would not be surprised at all if Damien of Situation Interactive, who came up with that project, like knew this guy from 11 Madison Park or saw what like, you know, I don't know, City Harvest was doing. And like, that's where the idea came from. Because I think all of it's all just feeding each other. Inspiration comes from the most random of places. And you have to be open to that. You know, I can't just read the theater time, the theater section of the New York Times to know what is going on in theater. I have to read the New York Times to know what's going on in theater. In the world. In the world, because, yeah, but but in theater, because that's what, what by that? because like, I'm not going so to understand about the impeachment, the, the possible impeachment proceeding. Yes. Tell me what you mean. How does that connect to theater for you? Well, first of all, like I went to freestyle of Supreme last week and, um, they're asking for prompts from the audience and it's like, what's a verb? And someone's like, whistleblow, impeach, blah, blah, blah. And you just have to know what's going on in the collective consciousness of theater. I think it's also like when I saw all my sons last season to hear someone talking about, um, you know, the story from the forties, but where it was like some, I don't want to like give away the play because you should read it or watch it if you don't know it. But the point is like, if I didn't know what was going on in the world, that play would not have resonated with me in the same way. Mm -hmm. I think slave play is a really good example of that. Like 
theater is a reflection of what's going on around us. So if you're not in tune to what's going on around us, right. you're it not going resonate. to be able to appreciate the questions that are being posed and the messages that are being communicated. Right. Yes. That's what yes. I think. I agree 100%. <laughs> I could talk to you all day. Like, it's ridiculous. I could talk to you all day. How much there is in your brain that I want to, like, get in there and... <laughs> extrapolate and just There's definitely a lot going on in my brain. There's so much. So first of all, I have two questions. Okay. My first question is, if you can give me like the truncated version, how did you get this job at Playbill? Sure. Um, So I went to school here in New York City. Barnard. And yes, I went to Barnard. Saw plays. And I saw plays and I, um, I'm going to do the sped up version, but I came in thinking I was going to be pre-med and like volunteered in hospitals and clinics my first two summers. Mm-hmm. And um, I was auditioning for theater because I wanted to like do it extracurricularly and I wasn't being cast and I was really upset. And my dad said, well, you're in New York. Um, very wise man, my father. Um, you're in New York. I bet you if you wrote for the theater section of the paper, they'd give you free tickets. And so I signed up for the theater section of the paper. Um, at, your co- at Barnard? At, at Columbia. It was the Columbia Spectator because okay. it's a, it was a university-wide paper. Okay. And I eventually, after being really scared, started writing for that, for, for the Spectator. And um, the joke is that it was a year before I got my first free tickets because I started writing features and fell in love with writing features. And then I was like, okay, medicine will always be there. Um, I don't know that I don't want to do it, but I also like have these other things to explore. So the summer after my junior year, I worked for the formerly known um, producing office, the partnership of Kevin McCollum and Jeffrey Seller, who are the minds behind um, Rent and Avenue Q and in the Heights. And um, And now Kevin, uh, well, Jeffrey did... Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey was the lead producer on Hamilton. Kevin was, you know, involved... uh, in a different way in Hamilton, but definitely still there, you know, with Lynn. Um, And so I learned what producing and general managing was. And at the time, Kevin was launching the revival of Ragtime. And I was watching them evolve the show art for that, working with Spotco, one of the big, you know, advertising and marketing firms. And I like wrote down comments to myself and um, said, And slowly as the art evolved, I noticed that my comments were coming to life. I had told no one about these. And I was like, oh, maybe I maybe there's something here. Right. So meaning what you were thinking in your mind, they were doing. Yes. You're like, oh, I have a really good grasp. Yeah. I have some. Yeah. I have some sort of instinct here about about, in the storytelling and the branding and the message. Um, And then I went back to my senior year of college and I was the theater editor at The Spectator of from my junior spring. They do it on a calendar year. So my junior spring and my senior fall, I had had this internship in the summer. And in the fall, I interned for Backstage Magazine mm-hmm. and got Another a taste Bible. of, yes, got a taste of like what it is to be at a true like professional publication in the theater world. Um, I ended up graduating and going to work as an paid intern, yay paid internships for Spotco and was working for them in marketing and account services. And then it was just a matter of like, well, I really like both of these types Hmm. of storytelling. I don't 
like, I think I prefer journalism, but I'm not like sold on it. And I, I don't really know. And I just need to pay my rent. So I applied to a bunch of journalism jobs and a bunch of marketing jobs. And my very first full-time salaried job was the assistant to the publisher at Time Out New York. So I landed in marketing at a magazine. Right. Fast forward one year, I got uh, poached to go over to Meredith Corporation, which is like some of you may be more familiar with the Hearst and the Condé Nasts of the world, but Meredith is the other big publisher. So what are the things So like Better Homes and Gardens, they used to have Ladies Home Journal, Southwest Living, um, Martha Stewart, Every Day with Rachel Ray. Now they have um, Eating Well and they used to have Fitness, which has become Shape. I went to work for the marketing division of Parents Magazine and American Baby. And I was trying to figure out, like, I think experimentation is very important. Like, try things out. And I tried out um, marketing for parents and was like, you know, will I like marketing more in this bigger pond? And that's when I found out, like, no, I'm just happiest when I'm writing. Right. And so I moved to editorial at Parents Magazine and I was there for three years. And simultaneously, the thing about working on the editorial staff of a magazine as big as parents is that you're really doing a lot of editing and a lot of assigning. And I weaseled my way into being like our digital celebrity correspondent. So like anytime, you know, Jennifer Hudson was like partnered with Johnson's baby shampoo, I went and talked to her about her kid or I talked to Jane Krakowski about Pampers and Tia Mowry about, you know, flu vaccines and like anything to get me in the room with people who I found interesting. But for the most part, I, I wasn't writing a lot and I certainly wasn't writing features. So I knocked on my backstage editor's door and said, do you need a freelancer? And so for pretty much the entire time that I was at parents, I was simultaneously freelancing, writing features for backstage. And then when I was looking to move on from parents, I was looking at all of these different sites, you know, Entertainment Weekly and Vulture and Mike.com, just trying to get in their art section. When a friend of mine said, why are we beating around the bush? You should totally be writing for Playbill. Right, that's your love. And I had no, it had, like I said earlier, it, it had not, not dawned. dawned on me that you could go work for them like a magazine. But yeah. of course you could. Right. So um, I I mean, speak, answering a question you asked like an hour ago, the way I paid for shows was not just that they were cheap. I babysat my butt off in college and um, I happened to babysit for actors um, by total chance, big Broadway stars. And so Can they you say who you babysat for. Sure. I hope I I, I think, think they'll be happened? fine. I think they'll be fine. Um yeah, I I, I babysat if you had been my babysitter. <laughs> like now Well, we they are yeah. they these people are my absolute I mean they are my family. I babysat okay. Um, so I babysat for uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell and Allison Tucker Mitchell's son for 11 years, starting when he was two years old and when I was 17 and a freshman in college. And how did um, that happen? How did you find literally random for them? Barnard has a babysitting service, and I like picked a random job out of the binder. She was listed, he was not. Right. And I was like, oh, I'll help a single mom with a two year old and a dog. And um, it turns out she was just. Out. Right. Yeah. She it turns out like not a single mom just like left the name off on purpose because right. didn't want like theater fansies, you know, just yeah. like knocking on the door for fun. Um, and I ended up babysitting him for 11 years. And um, 
obviously like they know playbills. So I asked for an introduction and they were kind enough to give me an introduction. And I Hello, had this a- is Brian Stokes Mitchell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would you be willing to see our babysitter Ruthie? Um, they did not do that. What they did was they gave me the phone number and it was very much like you have to do this on your own. And I totally appreciate that. By the way, as an actress and I've been in some Broadway shows. Yeah. um, Yeah, you have. I don't quite have a, I mean, it's just funny. The idea, like, I guess I could call you and ask you. Well, Stokes and, um, Playbill CEO, Phil Bursch know each other because, um, Stokes' son and Phil's son were, in preschool together and grew up together. So I actually knew my CEO's son from like the playground days. Like when I would pick up their son from preschool and like his nose. Well, yes, Yes. truly. Um, But I would pick up their son from preschool and go to the park and like the whole class would be there. So I knew Phil's son was there. So like I knew, so they, there was a different kind of relationship there, but um, they said, you know, that is lucky. Yeah. So it's, so it's definitely lucky. It's also like, I had to get up the nerve to say like, can you make this connection? And they said, here is, you know, here's the phone number and you can go ahead and use it or not use it. And And so, so I did, and I had a meeting with Phil Bursch, and he did not have an open position, and I just kind of had to sell myself and say, like, this is this is what I would bring. This is what I want to do. This is what I think you can use, and like the like the labor that it was nine months later I had a job at Playbill. Incredible. So it really took it took time, and I had to really like convince them that there was something to be added here and I did a couple of freelance pieces for them as like you know this is what I bring in terms of my writing and did you do video and digital stuff no that was all stuff that I was very passionate about when I came on board there was a video person at Playbill but it was um, a little bit more focused on like in rehearsals and press previews, less on original video that I wanted to help get started. And I had a ton of ideas. And then like, you know, we brought on videographers who I collaborate with, but I by no means like head up the video department. So was Felicia Fitzpatrick there when you started? Felicia had been there for one month, I think, when I started. She started in October of 2015 and I started in November. And it definitely felt like we began in the trenches together. And like we had that first Broadway con together. And a year later, we got our new editor in chief, who is still with us, um, Mark. And he was the one who said, Facebook Live is now a thing. Let's like just try it. And falsettos was our very first one. And it's really funny if you go back to the very beginning and look how they've evolved. And yeah, it was me and her because um, because it was on Facebook. So social media was her and it was interviewing. So interviewing was me. And we kind of just became this dynamic dynamic duo, duo, really. And I, I think... The part of the reason why we work is because we bring different things in terms of our personalities and the way we relate to people on the carpet, the way we relate to audiences. Um, Yeah. And it's like the most beautiful... And it was organic. organic. Yeah. yeah. We keep saying the same words at the same time. We do. Time. I love that. Well, we're in sync. Uh, you know, I was going to ask you a little known fact. I, I, you're welcome to share one before <laughs> you go, but the Brian Stokes Mitchell of it all is a pretty good one. That is a good one. Do you um, have anything I else? think I should add one. Okay. Just in case. Yeah. Um, Bonus so content? okay, so would this, you call it bonus bonus content, content in your world? So yeah. so I told you that um, you know my mom grew up doing theater, but the fun thing is that um, every time my mom did 
a, a community theater production, she got pregnant. And so she was pregnant with each of me, my brother, my sister with in, during different shows. And she was pregnant with me when she was in Fiddler on the Roof and when she played Seidel. And then 12 years later, when I was in the eighth grade, I played Fiddler. I played Seidel in Fiddler on the Roof. So it's like it was like in utero. And so... <laughs> It's Beshert, as they it say. Is. It's totally Beshert. It's totally Beshert. All right, listen to me. You are uh, a shining light, a beacon. Thank you. The integrity, the passion. I said it all in my intro for you. I really appreciate, as someone who is a performer, um, having the kind of respect and um, dialogue with a person who appreciate so deeply what it takes to make something. I do. Both as someone who's made it and someone who writes about it. Well, I'm I'm in awe. I I really am. I feel that we in the community Mm -hmm. um, feel and appreciate you so deeply. Thank um, you. Because you take it really seriously and you understand what it is. And um, and there's nothing there's nothing more serious than storytelling. There's nothing more serious than art to me. Well, help helping those stories get released out into the world mm-hmm. in the way you do. I just want to say thank you. Like truly, thank you so much for the work that you do and for being such a beautiful, beautiful part of this community. And I want to wish you an easy fast. Thank you. And um, I want to make sure this recorded yes. because I don't have your technology uh, well, suaveness. That so is just also just deeply meaningful. Oh, really? Ruthie, I just adore you, and I'm so grateful that we were able to find this time. And just know that every time you are doing a test before you go live, <laughs> I'm there rooting for you because you it's are. my favorite thing. And I'm back to where I was at the beginning, like ready to cry. So that's what we do here. <laughs> Hey, I am so excited to share some news with you guys. For the last few months, I've been working on another project that I've been calling Little Known Facts 2.0, Stage Network, an incredible new streaming platform which promises to be Netflix for theater lovers, asked me to do Little Known Facts as a filmed series, a talk show, as it were, in front of cameras. And I really thought about it for a long time because the thing that's made this podcast so special is that all of my guests have been able to share deep, intimate truths about their lives because we are in this tiny, comforting confessional that is the podcast booth. And I really had to think hard, could I still deliver the same kind of intimate, raw, hilarious, and unique interviews if cameras were involved? But I think I figured it out. I created a really beautiful set uh, with very little technology around to distract me or my guest. And somehow through... um, The miracle that is uh, modern technology where cameras can be really far away and capture really intimate moments at the same time, we've done it. And I'm so grateful to Stage Network for allowing me to make my dream of sharing incredible friends with you in this whole new way. So I shot six episodes. The first one 
uh, is with Ben Platt. Other guests include Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, George Salazar, Nikki M. James, John Slattery, and on and on and on. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share them with you. Stage Network really is an amazing place. Not only is it filled with incredible original content, uh, it has licensed so much theater-related content, documentaries and films and all sorts of incredible programming. I feel like I dreamed up a network and someone else created it, and here it is. And the fact that I'm involved in even a small way with this incredible, incredible network is just truly an honor. So to that end, uh, to watch all of the content, including Little Known Facts, the series, go to watchstage.com. You can start your free trial today, but you guys, it is only $4 a month if you sign up in earnest. That is nothing when you think of what you're going to get for it. I can't believe this place exists. I can't believe Little Known Facts is a film series. I will continue to do my podcast every week for you, but it is really exciting to go on this whole new adventure with you. So go to watchstage.com. That's watch, W-A-T-C-H, stage.com. Enjoy, and I hope you like it. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.